0: good morning good good ask you to turn your bibles to ephesians chapter 6 ephesians chapter 6 we'll be looking this morning at verses 16 through the first part of verse 18 ephesians chapter 6 i love singing i love being able to worship together i my kids joke with me or they think it's funny Or they hate it. I don't know which one. Sometimes there's a thin line by the fact that every time a word comes up, I I have a song, you know, and you sing a song to that word It's the soundtrack of your life, you know, and you bring those up. And most of those songs, they don't know. As I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking of this. I had a song stuck in my head thinking about the shield of faith. A song stuck in my head that I used to sing, especially whenever the Lord called me into the ministry and just thinking through life and facing difficulties. And that song was from For Him. I don't know if you ever remember For Him, but again, late, late 1900s. (laughs) The song was called Where There Is Faith. And Where There Is Faith was a song that always kind of, the chorus kind of kept going through my head. Where there is faith, there's a voice calling, keep walking. You're not alone in this world. Where there is faith, there is peace like a child sleeping, hope everlasting in he who is able to bear every burden, to heal every hurt in my heart. It is a wonderful, peaceful place where there is faith. And as we consider even that this morning, I want us to think about how precious our faith is. How important our faith is to our life. In fact, I would say to you this morning that every single one of you in here are exercising faith even as we speak, that all of us have put our faith in something, that all of us have put our faith somewhere. And so as we think through that, what we want to make sure of is that our faith is grounded in the one place that it will never be moved or shaken. What we want to be confident of this morning is that our faith is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. As we look through the book of Ephesians, there's not a more important concept to the Apostle Paul than this issue of faith. In fact, he uses those two words interchangeably, believe and faith. Those go together here in Scripture, and they play this important role. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul writes, we want to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, toward us who exercise faith. It's through faith, Paul is saying, that we're able to acquire divine strength and know the power of God, and know the power of God. In Ephesians 2.8, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's through faith that we have received the grace of God and find salvation for our sins. Not only do we know his power, but we find salvation through faith. Ephesians 3.12, In Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him So we do not lose heart By faith we know the power of God every day in our life by faith We know the salvation that has redeemed us and saved us and by faith We can enter in with confidence into the very presence of God into his throne room So we never need to lose heart because we have faith We have faith Paul lays this out over and over so we know the presence of God, the power of God through our faith. So we should not be surprised then when Paul asserts that in order to withstand the attacks of the evil one, the one who fires flaming darts at us, as we will see in this passage, in order to withstand the attacks of the evil one, we must take up the shield of faith. And we must put on the helmet of salvation. These two go together in such a way this morning. As we look at this passage and kind of summarize as we've gone through this armor, these two go together in such a way that we're going to do them together. We're going to look at both the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation this morning. And as we look at our passage in Ephesians, starting there in verse 16, we'll notice that second part of the armor, the first part, three parts that were there those were the parts as we said that were fastened to the body and all of these build as paul comes through so you start with the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes that bring the gospel of peace and now as we enter into these second section these are the ones we take up and we put on not fastened to us but put on for protection and hold in our hands and place on our head and as we think of this we consider how all of these build upon one another So let's read our passage, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 16, and we'll go through the first part of verse 18 together. The Apostle Paul writes, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the goodness that you have shown to us and the fact that you have not only provided everything that we need, you have taught us how to take it up and what it means for our life. And so God, I pray now, even as we gather around your word, even as we've sung already and worshiped you and thinking about how you have conquered death, And you have conquered sin. And you give us breath. Every breath in our lungs, you give it to us. And you help us to overcome every obstacle that is placed in front of us through the power of the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, we come this morning thanking you for this opportunity to gather together as your people, your believers, who you have redeemed and saved in this place, and to gather around your word and help us to hear from it, God. Help us to hear from your word in such a way this morning that we cannot leave the same way we came in. Father, your word is truth. Sanctify us by your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we consider first in the shield of faith this morning, we do so kind of as we did last week. When last week we talked about the gospel of peace. That comes to us the shoes so we had to ask that question what is the gospel and we wanted to be clear about what the gospel was this morning I think it's important that we ask this question what is faith for all of us as I said are exercising some sort of faith as you are here this morning so we want to be clear about what biblical faith is what does biblical faith look like when you consider what the Bible describes as faith and what the Bible understands as faith it has two aspects There's two aspects to faith, and both of these must be present. You can't have one and not the other. If you do, it's not biblical faith. Both of these must be present. The first aspect we must have in our own life when we think about faith is we must have or we must intellectually assent to the truths of the gospel. Now, I'll put it like this in the simple way. We must understand that what the Word of God says is true. It's true. And not just what the Word of God says is true, but the events that God has Put throughout our life and throughout the gospel history are true in other words It's true that the son of God came born of a virgin and lived a perfect life It's true that he went to a cross not because he sinned but for the sins of others and those sins were placed upon him It's true that he died on that cross having willingly gave up his life It is true that he was buried and on the third day he rose again It is true that not only did he rise again He has now ascended to the throne and sits there in heaven on the throne and one day he will return all of that is true All of that is true And so we must before we have any can exercise or understand faith We must know these things and we must believe these things. They are all true We must know that jesus is who he says he is He is the son of god the lord of heaven and earth just as the apostle paul says in romans chapter 10 If you're going to have faith if you're going to come to him and be saved you must confess with your mouth that jesus is lord you must know and believe he is who he says he is. And you must believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. As we consider that, why did Paul just simply pick out the resurrection in that point? Because for Paul, the resurrection signified that everything Jesus ever said and everything he ever did was true. But the fact that he is alive testifies that it is true. It's all true. And so the resurrection becomes the exclamation point of a life that is lived and laid out for us. It is all true. He is who he says he is, and he did what he said he would do. Now, I'm sure there's not many of us, maybe not many of us in this room that would deny that. I'm sure that all of us would intellectually assent to those truths. We would, we would probably say, yes, that's true. Jesus did. He came, suffered, died, rose again, and now is seated at the right hand. It is true. But that's not complete biblical faith. There has to be another element to it. Not only do we have to believe that those facts are true, we must also trust in those facts with our life. We must fully rely upon them. We believe they are true, we know they are true, but then we must fully rely on them as they work for our life. They are not just true, they're the truth of God's Word for me and my life and how I live. As the old hymn says we sang in the first service, it's enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It's enough that Jesus died the facts of the gospel and that he died for me. I am trusting and relying upon those truths for my own life. You see, believing that Jesus is God incarnate who died on the cross to pay the penalty for sins and was resurrected. Believing in those things is not enough in and of themselves. Now hear me when I say, believing in those truths that Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin and was resurrected is not enough in and of themselves. In fact, James, when he's writing, he says that even the demons believe in God and they shudder. Even they have intellectual assent to those truths. James chapter two, verse 19. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. And so even they believe in the truths of God's word, but have they fully relied upon God's word? Have they fully given themselves over? Have they fully given themselves into the truth? And that becomes James' point. As the old preacher has said, and you probably have heard a thousand times, faith is like a chair, right? You see the chair, you believe it's a chair, you trust that it's a chair, it looks like a chair, everything about it's a chair, and when you walk up to it, it's a chair. But in order to act upon it, what must you do? You must plop down in the chair, right? I say plop, because that's how I sit. You don't know what I'm talking about. You must plop down in the chair. Not only do you believe it's a chair, you act upon the fact, so you sit in it. Your belief in it, it leads to action. And so it is with biblical faith. It's not just that we believe it's true. We act upon these things. Biblical faith must mean something personally and fully fully to us that we rely on Jesus Christ's death. Not just that he died, but that we rely on his death for our life, for our salvation. Whenever Jesus was teaching his disciples, he had a teaching moment because they were saying and kind of rebuking those who were bringing little infants, little babies to Jesus. And they rebuked him. He doesn't have time for this. He can't do it. And Jesus went and rebuked his disciples. Unless you come to me like one of these with the faith of one of these babies, you're not worthy of me or my kingdom, Jesus says. What does Jesus mean when he says that? He means that these babies, these infants, are fully dependent on their parents. They depend on him, uh, their mother and father, for everything. They depend on them to, to be fed. They depend on them to be clothed. They depend on them to be protected. They depend on them for everything. And Jesus says, that's how you must come to me. In order for you to have true faith, you're dependent upon me for all of it. I will clothe you, I will feed you, I will care for you, and you recognize that if you have any sustenance, it's because the Lord has provided it. If you have any life and protection, it's because the Lord has given it. Even our breath, as we sang earlier, every single breath we breathe is a gift from God. And without him, we have nothing. So faith becomes not just believing in the truths of the word of God, but trusting in them and relying upon them. Fully relying on the death of Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice for our sins for your sins Fully relying that he has covered you. He's washed you. He saved you. He's redeemed you. He's provided for you He's protected for you fully trusting in him Fully trusting in his atonement. That's why biblical faith by the way always goes together or is accompanied by repentance because biblical faith believes that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And there he paid the penalty for our sins. So as we trust in him by faith, we must turn away from the sins that sent him to the cross. As we trust in him by faith, we turn away from the sins that caused, uh, that caused his own death. We turn away from those sins trusting in Christ. We turn away from this world trusting in Christ. So we repent of those sins, turn from them, and put our faith in Jesus. Put our faith there. But we must be careful here. Many people, I believe, do handle this uh, maybe not the right way. In other words, I've, I've talked to so many people, and what I've found is many people put their faith not in Jesus, but they put their faith in their faith. They put their faith in their faith, how much they trust, how much they are dependent upon Him. But your faith, understand, your faith is only as strong as the object that it is anchored in. Your faith is only as strong as the one that it is found in. And so in other words, your faith sometimes may be weak, it may be be fleeting, you you may not feel faith, you may not know it, you you may be struggling some days, but when your faith is Jesus Christ, no matter how much you feel you have faith or you don't have faith, it is anchored in the one that holds you and keeps you. It's anchored in him and therefore it cannot be shaken. So don't go by your feelings. Don't put your faith in your feelings. Put your faith in Jesus Christ who saved you and redeemed you. I remember reading the story of Charles Spurgeon who, was, who had a lady come up to him and, and, and she said, Mr. Spurgeon, I don't think I have faith. I don't think I have any faith. Spurgeon knew her to be a faithful lady and she was always in church and she was always there. She said, I just don't think I have any faith. And Spurgeon reached in his pocket and pulled out five dollars, five pounds. He's probably in London, but y'all know what I mean. And he pulled it out, and he says, "I'll give you five dollars to never come to church again." You know, I thought about doing that before myself, but I don't think I'd. uh, That was supposed to be a better joke. I was supposed to laugh at that. First, I'll give you five dollars to never come back to church. And she said, "How could I do that, Pastor?" This is where I learn. This is where I grow in the Lord. This is where where I have my life. This is where I learn. This is everything to me. And he says, then don't tell me you don't have faith. Why would you not sell something for $5 that you don't even have? Ultimately, sometimes we don't feel like it, do we? Ultimately, sometimes we don't feel like it, but what we do know is that we as a people, if you're trusting in Christ and fully relying on him, you will trade your faith, no matter how big it may feel, or no matter how how small it may seem at some times, you will not trade your faith for anything in this world. For anything in this world. Faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, is anchored in the work and power of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And when it's anchored there, it cannot be shaken And what does faith then do? If it's anchored there, we assent to the truths of the word and we fully rely on Jesus Christ for our salvation in life. Faith then allows us to appropriate or claim the promises of God for ourselves. It allows allows us to claim the promises of God for ourselves. One of my favorite devotionals is a little book called A Checkbook on the Bank of Faith. The idea is the Lord has a bank there of faith that we can write a check anytime we need some, right? We can write a check of it. And I love it because what, make, what the checkbook of the bank of faith is about are the promises of God. So anytime we need some strength from the Lord, we look to his promises and it's writing a check, cashing in on the promises of God that helps us get through the day. And we, we think through those promises. And we may say, Lord, Lord, help me to know your promises. Teach me. Maybe I forget about your promises, your blessings in my life. Help me. And when the Lord reminds us or we look to God's word in light of his promises and just try to start adding those up, we quickly become overwhelmed how good the God of the universe has been to us to make so many faithful promises and keep every single one of them. You see, the promises of God are precious to us. Just consider what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Placing this up against, in this passage of the armor of God, just consider, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he keeps going there. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Can you imagine, think of the power of that statement. The preciousness of this. When we consider Christ and what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, and how he gave his son, the only begotten son, the precious gift, most precious thing we can know, the Lord says, how much more will he give you? If he's already given you the greatest, it's an argument from greater to lesser, right? If he's already given you the greatest, then his promises are for you in every way. How much more will he bless you? How much more will he give you? There's nothing you will lack when you come to the Lord. He gives us all that we need. We think of those promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. We think of the promise that Jesus, the Lord God Almighty, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We think about how the scripture says that he's the God of all mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. The Lord never leaves us. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he always comforts us even in the midst of our affliction. Or like Paul says to the Philippians, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That not only is he going to be with you, never leave you, he's the same forever. But he is also, he's also one who has saved you and will bring that to completion. He's not going to forget about you these promises should be precious to us. These promises uh, should should be on the tip of our tongues and in the in the very pit of our hearts every single day to consider what God is because Paul says that the devil is going to shoot flaming arrows at you. And those flaming arrows want you to believe that you're alone. But the Lord says he's never left us nor will he forsake us. And those flaming arrows want you to believe that things have changed and it's different now. And the Lord used to be that way, but now he's different and, 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 and everything's changed. But his it says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Or he says that he's forgot about you, that he's, he's not wanting you to, to complete this. He's not warning you. Look at the affliction you have. Well, the scripture says he comforts us in all our afflictions. And the scripture says he doesn't forget. He will finish what he has started in each and every one of us. And in this, you see how the flaming arrows of the devil have no power against the one who exercises the faith and the promises of God. The list could go on and on. And I encourage you, take up your word and begin to read it. And I would dare say, very confidently say, there's not a page that goes by in this word that you would not find a promise to you that is important each and every moment and each and every day. For God's word is full of his promises faith helps us to know and acquire those promises so that they are ours our checkbook if you will that we cash in on in this world and in this life but faith also not only helps us to know the promises of god faith also helps us to know the power of god in our life we know his promises and we know his power we know his promises and we know his power you look back in ephesians chapter one as i read earlier When Paul is writing in verse 18, he says he wants us to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe toward us who have faith. Paul is saying that he's writing to us so uh, our eyes of our heart would be open and we could see this. Why is it important that we see these truths? Why is it important that we see these things through the eyes of our heart so that we can rest in them? So that we can hold them precious to us every single day. We don't need to forget it. This is exactly what they they meant when he said this, hide the word in our heart so we may not sin against God but rest in God. For it's Jesus who was raised from the dead, he goes on to say. And it's Jesus who was conquered over the devil's sin and death. It is Jesus who reigns forever, Paul says. So you need to know he wants you to see his glory. He wants you to see his power. And the way you see and know his power is through faith. And be reminded, as John tells us in his first epistle, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The one who is in the child of God, the spirit of God who comes and dwells within him is greater than the one that is in the world. No matter what the one may throw at you in this world, no matter what flaming darts he may fire, no matter what what position he may take against you, what tactics or schemes he may throw your way, the scripture says, we must know that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And we rest in this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead conquering sin and death lives within each and every believer of the lord jesus christ the same power consider the consider the 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 importance of that consider the intensity of this that if you're a child of god today the same power dwells in you that raised christ jesus from the dead scripture says so not only if we exercise faith that we have the promises of God to hold dear, the checkbook that we cash in in our life every single day, but we also have the power of God that has been on display in our life, the power to overcome. The power to understand the truth and know it. The power to follow after him in light or in spite of whatever temptation or suffering or affliction or pain may come. Therefore, Paul says, if that's what you have when you have faith, therefore pick up the shield of faith. Take it up. Put it in your hands. And not only does he say that, he says it here. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. If faith is what teaches us and shows us the power of God and the promises of God, if faith is what we know where we rely completely upon God, not upon ourselves, if that's the case, then take it up. And what does he say? He says, take it up in all circumstances. You see, when Paul says in all circumstances, he most clearly wants us to understand something. That the shield of faith isn't just for those days when those flaming darks keep coming faster and more furious, right? The shield of faith isn't just for those days when we're at our lowest or our weakest. The shield of faith isn't just for those days when we receive the worst of news or the hardest of news. The shield of faith is for us to carry every single day. Because what truly happens and what we know is that we are sometimes the most vulnerable and the weakest whenever we think everything's going great. Whenever we think everything's okay and everything's wonderful, Paul says, don't try to pick this up on the good days or the bad days. Don't try to just take this whenever you think is necessary. It's every day. It's in all circumstances. You cannot face life without the shield of faith covering you. In other words, you can't face life without the promises of God and the power of God. And if you try to, you will fail. So take it up. It's available for you. When he speaks about this shield, it's not just some, I believe, as Paul says, it's not just some round shield, some small shield. The Roman shield here was one that covered from head down to toe. It covered the full body, covered the full body, able to take on and withstand whatever may fly in their direction. So take this up in all circumstances. But along with that, not only the shield of faith were to take up, but he also says we're to put on the helmet of salvation. Now, what's happening here in this passage, remember, is that he's building these things upon themselves. He starts with truth and he goes to righteousness and the gospel. And you put those things on and then he says you, you must put on this, the faith that, that gets you salvation. And then to cap it all off, no pun intended, you put the helmet of salvation on your head. To to cap it all off, you put this on your head to say our salvation is found. It's the summary of all these things. We're saved by the truth of God's word, right? We're saved by the righteousness of Christ. We're saved by the gospel that brings peace in our hearts and our lives. We're saved by the faith that we put into our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we put this helmet of salvation on as what caps off or tops off in so many ways. Everything that we have in life and all of the armor that we bear. While the shield protects us from neck to feet. The helmet protects us on our head. And when life gets hard, you find out what kind of headgear you're wearing, don't you? You find out what your headgear is made of when life gets difficult. And here, the summary of all that we have has been put on. Salvation has come to us and we put that on our head and we wear it. Why? We must first understand that salvation is the work of God himself. Salvation is the work of god himself if you if you just turn over in my bible It's just one page some of you may not even have to turn but ephesians chapter 2 Verses 1 through 8 there some of the most precious words in scripture And understand, if you're a child of God today, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, completely relying on him and trusting in him, and you call yourself a child of God, saved and redeemed, then Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through the following verses all pertain to you. This is telling you who you are. This is telling you what's happened. Paul is writing this so we would understand the nature of what has happened to us who believe. And listen to what he says. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind kind. You were dead in your sins. You were disobedient to God. You were doomed to destruction because of your sin. But God, Work so that no one may boast salvation that we have received is just that it is something we have received it has come to us salvation is God's work he has saved us we were dead we were disobedient we were doomed but God made us alive together with Christ The only thing I added to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. And so when I come to you today and say, I'm a child of God, I am not boasting in anything I have done. I'm not boasting in any accomplishment I have gained. There's no merit. I don't have a thing hanging on my wall telling me I won this in any way, shape, or form. When I tell you I'm a child of God, it's because God in his great grace and mercy saved me from my sins. God did it. He saved me. He redeemed me. That's what salvation is for us. And so when Paul says you put that helmet on, you're headed out into battle with a confident hope that you're not a child of God and you don't have this armor because you've earned it or you made it. You have it because God has provided it for you. And so we have a hope, a confident hope, even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of pain, even when fiery darts are coming our way, as Paul says, in this serious battle we face, we still face it with a confident hope that no one can take my salvation from me. And my faith is strong and the promises of God are sure and his power is greater than anything in this world. We have that hope. Paul says, put that on your head. Think and consider what God has accomplished. What God has accomplished for you. And then you walk by faith. You go by faith with that shield there. I'm going to close with Hebrews chapter 11. One of my favorite passages in scripture. I say that about all of them, but y'all bear with me. Let's go on this one today. In Hebrews chapter 11, you find the hall of faith, as some have said it. The author here is going to talk about Without faith, no one can please the Lord. No one can see God. And here he's going to go through the list of who has faith. He's going to begin there with Adam, with Abel. Go all the way through Noah, through Abraham, through Jacob. He'll list all of these out, even Joseph. And talk about how they had faith and by faith what it caused them to do and how they were great because of the faith they had in the Lord. Showing that their faith allowed them to know the promises of God and the power of God and accomplish incredible things. And then he gets to the end and he's recognizing, the author I think is recognizing here that he's got some more. I mean he could keep going on this and he says in verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. He, he goes in and says, look at what they accomplished by faith. Look how they overcome Look how they overcome. I mean, they're quenching fire. They're stopping the mouths of lions. They're putting foreign armies to flight just simply by their faith. Look at what has been accomplished by their faith. And we should be encouraged. We should be encouraged by them. That's the whole point because he's going to go into chapter 12. He says, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Look what they accomplished by faith. But I want you to notice in the middle of verse 35, without a but- Or however or anyway or yet without any sort of way to bridge this look at what happens in verse 35 he starts women receive back their dead by resurrection all these great things that were accomplished by faith then he goes some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life others suffered mocking and flogging even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sown in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God has provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. I find it fascinating that he says, by faith, they stopped the mouths of lions. By faith, they quenched fire. They received back the dead. By faith, they put foreign armies to flight. And by faith, they were sown in two. And by faith, they were tortured. And by faith, they were killed, flogged, and beaten, and destitute. And you say, what does that mean? It means this what faith teaches us is this world is not our home. What faith teaches us, what faith teaches us is that we long for a day as strangers and pilgrims in this place. We long for a day that we will be finally home. And what faith teaches us is that when death comes to us, no matter how it comes, no matter what way it comes, when death comes to us, I will open my eyes and I will see my Savior. That's what faith teaches us. For even here in this passage, he says some didn't even re- refuse to recount, refuse to do it because they knew there was something better for them. And so for us, when we step outside into this world every day when we face the flaming darts of the devil, when we face the schemes of the enemy, there's no way we sell out and we cave into those things because we know what God has provided for us through faith. And we don't give it up. Even if it means life or death, we don't give it up. And when you do that, you've taken away the greatest weapon the enemy has against you because you're not afraid to die. That's exactly what is said in Revelation chapter 12. That the schemes of the devil are conquered by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, because we're not afraid to die. The only way you step out of here with a confidence, a confident hope in the life that is to come is by faith. And when you step that way, there is nothing the devil can fire at you that can harm you. God is good to us. And the promises are sure to us. The psalmist said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my shield and the horn of my salvation. Is that true for you today? Is the Lord your shield and salvation? The faith that we need has been provided for us and given to us. Exercise it and use it trusting in the promises and power of god There may be some here today that just simply intellectually assent to the truths Today's a day you fully rely on the gospel You fully trust in jesus christ and you place your faith in him If that's you today Then I pray that even now the spirit of god is working in your heart to show you the absolute necessity To trust in christ and depend upon him for all things I pray that's true of each and every one of you Let's go to the lord Father, we thank you for your kindness to us and your graciousness to not only send your son to die for us, but also to equip us. To equip us with everything we need in this world. For it says that you saved us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins so that you could pour out your continual riches upon us. So God, I pray that you pour them out even now. God, if there's someone here today that has just been hearing the gospel for years, but never fully relied on you. Today, Father, break through their heart. Open the eyes of their heart, as Ephesians 1 says, so that they can see the glory of your inheritance, the power of your name. And They can be saved. Today, they can place that helmet of salvation on their head and they can take up that shield of faith. God, I pray that no one would leave here unprotected in this world, but they would find their hope in you, a confident hope in what you have done. My invitation to you today is simply that if you've just been walking through life, you believe the gospel, but you've never fully relied upon the Lord and place your faith in Him, today is the day. I'll be standing in the front. I'd love to speak to you. If you want to come be a part of our church, whatever it may be you need to talk about, I'll be here. Today is the day to put your full faith, fully relying on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Put it in today. Let's stand together.